Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Destroy hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rainbow. Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh, no. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Random Troy Radio, episode 400, coming to you on Thursday. January 28th, we're going to talk about the latest in USC football, and there is so much to get to, including new coaches, new recruits, new players, and so much more, including new questions from you guys in a huge mailbag this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, Omni Studio, wherever you can find a podcast, we are there. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy, with new episodes throughout the offseason every other Friday. As always, you can reach us on our phone number, 213-373-1USC, second what's Bruin show, and our email address, Troy at fansided.com. I'm your host, Mike Garcia, joined along with my co-host, here in the Arena Troy studio in Los Angeles, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Alicia Deratola. I, I just you, you I s- crushed it. You said my in a, name. Like, like in a non-good way, I crushed it. Well, you said my name like Alicia Deatolo, which is uh, a combination of the way that sales call people used to always call my, my parents' house when I was growing up. We used to laugh at the different ways that they'd figure out to pronounce my name, uh, my last name. And also in in one of the fan sided documents, it's just like a spreadsheet that's like a schedule thing. Um, like one day of the week, it's like Tuesday or something. Like my name is spelled Deatolo, and I think it just gets copy pasted every week. Um, and every time I see it, I'm like, should I correct this? And then I'm you like, probably should. Nah, not. It's right in every other day of the week. It's right like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever. But uh, when it shows up on Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. random. Um, what what is your favorite uh, misnomer for for yourself? For my for my name for my last yeah. name. Yeah, any any of them. Uh, my favorite was when the salespeople would call and they just like add syllables and letters to the name that aren't there, like Argotolobaluma. 
Like, there'd be like G's added and M's added. I'm like, it's R. Yeah, I, la. it's not that difficult. I've gotten You're Castilio, overthinking it. Castilio. Yeah, it's like there's no the, I. Where's the extra I in there? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. But uh, at least we have a bunch of extra stuff in this podcast because last week we did the Roddies. We did not touch on any news, which means we have two weeks of news to discuss. Uh, and I don't know if you've been paying attention. The last two weeks have been full of news, which means there's a million things to discuss in this episode. Uh, if you guys have been waiting for our takes on USC's uh, new coaches, uh, USC's losses of coaches, new players, new commitments, uh, the Larry Scott news, all of that we're going to touch on in this episode, uh, as well as get you guys ready for our bonus episode this week on Patreon, we're going to go through the roster and we're going to do a tier list, unit by unit, uh, rank the uh, the the USC units currently uh, on the roster as it stands looking forward to 2021, the football season, uh, whether or not players are coming back and everything. Just take a look at it. Take a look-see at that roster. Yeah, we're going to put them, put them into tiers, you know, quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends, uh, what have you? It should be should be a fun time, and and basically this is the time of year when we try to take take stock of the roster again, uh, because obviously in this year in particular you have a lot of guys coming and going, you have a, a lot of guys staying, uh, you have transfers coming in, recruits coming in, all of that kind of stuff will impact uh, the the roster in a pretty big way, uh, significant more so than than normal even. Uh, so yeah, we need it. Yeah, you can get all of our bonus episodes over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. All of it for five fifty five a month. Uh, for 10 bucks, you get to join our Slack channel, talk about USC football 24-7 with us and the rest of the Rot Crew, a diehard bunch of USC fans and uh, Reign of Troy listeners. So check that out, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. At least you got so much news to get to, let's just get to it now. So we talk a lot about the Liverpool transference. Liverpool not doing well. That means USC is doing well uh, and vice versa. Uh, we're going to get in this episode talking about this news, which comes at a time in which Liverpool did not score a goal until literally today. Yes. In, in the year uh, 2021. Did the- not score a goal in, in the prem until today, which means good things have been happening for USC. The year after our core, 2021. Yes. Um, I yes. Mean, continued core until like two days ago. Yeah. You know? I I I'm trying to decide if the Liverpool Liverpool went winless for five games. Uh, they didn't score a goal in the league until this day, January 28th. So it, it took almost a month for them to score a goal in in a league game. And I was trying to decide: is this a Corey Foreman thing? Or is this like a the roster, like all the transfers that USC's added? Is this the coaching hires that USC has made, strength and conditioning and, and an offensive line, all of that? Like, what is it? And I think it might be all of the above, but yeah. yes. So we'll start uh, with, I think, the most important move in the last couple of weeks. USC has a new offensive line coach. It is Clay McGuire. Uh, and it, 
Clay McGuire, which I swear sounds like one of those fake Madden names. Absolutely. Like like you take a USC first name Clay, like Clay Helton, and a last name McGuire, like Mark McGuire, and you stick it together in a generator. And Clay McGuire, the new offensive line coach from the Trojans, comes over from Texas State. Uh, yeah, Texas State, not Tech, not A&M, not UT, not North Texas, not UTSA. No, Texas State. Which is uh, funny. The, just, the teacher's school from San Marcos. As, a, as an aside, which is funny, I had no occasion at all to know what Texas State was. Bobcats. Except for a, a family friend of mine went to Texas State. Uh, this was like a decade ago. So like I was aware that it existed, but like it had totally left my consciousness until semi-recently someone in our F1 league uh, in our F- F1 uh, video game league happens to be affiliated with Texas State. And so like just so happened over the last few months, I've become reacquainted with Texas State. And then as a joke, I asked the guy, hey, what do you know about uh, Texas State's offensive line coach? And he's like, "Uh, he's he's good, I guess. And <laughs> And then all of a sudden, actually, USC just hired him. Yeah. And by the way, Friday Night Lights, uh, remember where, um, uh, what's his name? The running back? What's his name? The the TV show or the the TV show? Oh, not so not Booby Miles. It's uh, I can see his face right now. How am I forgetting the characters? Yeah. Yeah. Driving me crazy. Uh, He he goes to TMU, right? And looks up or tries to go to TMU. TMU. Uh, is Texas Methodist. It was sort of based on like a TCU, Texas yeah. A&M kind of, uh, you know, mashup, but it was Texas State that was the that was the school. The, lo- the location. The, 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 the use. Huh. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, anyways, Texas State out of San Marcos. Uh, Clay McGuire comes from there, but, you know, Texas State, a Sunbelt school, I wouldn't necessarily call Clay McGuire a Sunbelt coach. He's on the Mike Leach tree. Uh, went to went to Texas Tech. Uh, I believe he played with uh, Cliff Kingsbury back in the early two thousands. Uh, he was a Texas Tech uh, coach the entire time uh, that Graham Harrell was there in two thousand nine. He was a running backs coach in two thousand seven and two thousand eight. He was the special teams co- coach uh, in twenty ten and twenty eleven. He goes to East Carolina as the running backs coach with Ruffin McNeil. Ruffin McNeil was the defensive um, coordinator for Mike Leach. He gets a head coaching job at East Carolina. Now, who does he take? Clay McGuire and a guy by the name of Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, the offensive coordinator uh, for the Pirates uh, from 2010 to 2013 before he eventually becomes the current Oklahoma head coach. Uh, and then from 2012 to 2017, uh, Clay McGuire goes and he's the offensive line coach at Washington State. And I think this is the point on his resume that's important. Because this has the most translation to what we can expect from Clay McGuire replacing Tim Drevno. Uh, he's on Mike Leach's first staff uh, at Washington State, where they take over for Paul Wolf, have to completely change you know, their identity, their offensive identity, everything, have to install a new literally everything on that roster um, and has a total overhaul uh, and has some su- success at Washington state. Um, but after that goes to Texas tech, uh, Cliff Kingsbury hires his, his old teammate to be the co uh, offensive coordinator and running backs coach. Um, and then Cliff Kingsbury gets fired and McGuire's got nowhere to go, but Texas state where he goes uh, and is on the, uh, the staff of Spavadol, 
who was the underling of Cliff Kingsbury back at Texas A&M when Johnny Menzel won the Heisman Trophy. So a lot of interconnected workings here, but McGuire somehow lands up at Texas State before coming to USC. Um, before we get into it, because I've got, you know, I've run some numbers and kind of dug into the Washington State stuff. Uh, on the surface, what are, what are your thoughts, Alicia? Well, yeah, I, I think that the initial response to this is a guy from Texas State feels a lot like the Western Kentucky hires, a lot like yeah. the, okay, USC is poaching the 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 group of five, you know, uh, uh, not not really fishing in the in the top barrel there. Uh, but to be fair, to be fair to Clay McGuire, like you said, he's not a group of five coach, really. He's a power. He, his his pedigree is power five. And the thing that I am encouraged by by with him is that uh, he ended up at Texas State, not necessarily because he got fired or because he got ousted. He just, you know, took a chance, took a took the opportunity to go with Cliff Kingsbury to Texas Tech. And it just so happened that that chopping block was there. And um and he, and he lands in Texas State where he's at home. He's from Texas. So this is a move that uh, that I don't mind. I think my biggest issue with Clay McGuire is that, realistically, this should have been the hire two years ago. Spoiler alert. That's going to be my take. I'm not, I'm not trying to steal your take. But, like, realistically, if USC wanted to make the transition to the air raid, and at the time, I remember you and I having the conversation about Drevno and, like, we were slightly concerned that he didn't have air raid experience and, and how would that impact um, the the overall sort of feel of the offense. Obviously, that turned out to be a big, a fairly big deal. So this is like righting a wrong two years late. But his track record is good. Like the, the, the time he spent at Washington State is good. And I think the thing that maybe would encourage USC fans about this as much as possible uh, I don't know that this is the thing that fixes everything about the program, but I do think this is probably going to work out all right, is uh, at Washington State, he wasn't recruiting or bringing in the four and five star offensive linemen. He was creating good offensive lines out of the three star uh, value kind of linemen that they could find who were fitting the air raid and who sort of fit the system. So if that's the the the, the impetus that USC had when they went into hiring a new offensive line coach, um, if it was an idea of let's go all in on the system and who will benefit the system, then this is the hire. I don't know what other hire you could make that you could look at it and say this is an air raid person who has the air raid uh, down pat and who uh, sort of learned from the best and, and did it with the best at Washington State. Yeah, on the surface, uh, you look at Clay, Clay McGuire and you're like, who? Don't know who that is. Texas Texas State, why does this matter? SC's doom doesn't matter. Re- rearranging deck, uh, chairs on the decks of the Titanic, all that stuff, right? And I think all of that's true for the most part. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that this is going to be a revolutionary hire or well, anything. Well, can, can I jump in real quick here? Yeah. I because I've used the phrase rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Like, I I still think this is rearranging deck deck chairs on the Titanic, but like sure. objectively. You can do a better or worse job of rearranging deck chairs. Like, oh, is that where is that where we're moving the goalposts to now? I mean, no, no. Like, what I'm saying is, you're still rearranging the deck chairs, but like, you and I could look at deck chairs and rearrange them, and I could do a better job than you. So, like, sure. you know, like we can still judge these situations, even if they're ultimately 
irrelevant to the grander, you know, crisis at hand. But like, I can still objectively say if the deck chairs were rearranged well. And I think that's what this seems to be. Yeah, my thing is, I want USC to be honest with themselves. I want SC to be self-aware. And I want SC to put themselves in the best position they can, given all the criteria they've set for themselves. Right? If you say you're going to do something, go do it to the best of your ability. And if you're going to run the air raid, go do it to the best of your ability. Doing it with Tim Drevno, a guy who has no air raid experience, made no freaking sense. And I'm not going to say it was all Tim Drevno's fault. The offensive line struggled. I don't think it was. I think it was a it was a, a mixture of everything. Right? It was the offensive line struggled. Uh, I think that you know Drevno probably didn't have. Um, the best success in getting the most development out of those guys. Well, I think the scheme think was the, all the wrong. The scheme didn't help him. The scheme didn't work. The play calling didn't put the, the players at, at, at a, in a position to succeed. All these things kind of work together. But it makes the most sense to make that change at the offensive line. If you're going to do something this offseason, that made the most sense. So, it, And to follow that up, you need to find someone who fits the scheme. Clay McGuire is that guy. Uh, you look back at Washington State, and I want to focus at wa- his time at Washington State because he did not get fired there. Uh, he left because he got a promotion, uh, a co-offensive t- uh, coordinator title at uh, at Texas Tech. So it's not like he, he got fired at Washington State. No, Mike Leach did not fire Clay McGuire. Clay McGuire, you look at the numbers, and Football Outsiders does a great job of talking about NCAA stats um, things like line yards, opportunity yards, stuff rate. We've talked about this before. Opportunity yards is how many, the, the percentage of runs that gain at least four yards, and this is a way of judging an offensive line. If your runs get four yards, that mostly is attributed to the offensive line. Those first four yards are. If there's a hole, that's on the offensive line to punch the hole through. Um if your running back gets through that hole, that's on the running back for getting through the hole, right? Um, and so you look at the numbers. Uh, in 2014, this is this is the first year that that Football Outsiders has these stats available on football footballoutsiders.com. 2014. This is year three at Washington State. The line yards for the Cougars they ranked 118th. They were 123rd in opportunity rate, 112th in stuff rate. Uh, and 21st in adjust, uh, adjusted sack rate. So pass protection was fine, but they could not run the ball to save their life in terms of how the offensive line impacted that. And you compare those numbers with what USC is right now, uh, where the Trojans ranked 99th um, in in opportunity yards. Uh, they have a stuff rate of, I believe, 21.2%. Uh, well, Back in 2014, Washington State's stuff, stuff rate was 23.2%. That means 23.2% of runs, nearly a quarter, ended up in zero or negative yards. That's atrocious. It's worse than USC right now. Why am I mentioning this? Because they got significantly better after that. Year four at Washington State, they had an opportunity rate that ranked fifth in the country. Year five in, in, at Washington State in 2016, the Cougars were number one in the country in stuff rate. Only 12% of their runs ended up in zero for zero or negative yards. 2017, they were 11th in stuff rate. 
28th in line yards, uh, 39th in opportunity rate with 40.8%. Like, that's where you want to see this offensive line at minimum. Like, those numbers uh, for Washington State are significantly better than where they were. There was, you know, an improvement. Was there super consistency with that improvement? No. But we're talking about Washington State doesn't have the ability to get, you know, the talent level in all aspects of the field um, that USC does. And certainly SC's not necessarily recruited, you know, elite five-star talent on the offensive line. That's a problem. But for what you're wanting to do with the air raid system, Clay McGuire's gotten the most out of his offensive line. That's what you want if you're going to run the uh, the air raid successfully. All I can ask for from USC is to do what they say. If you're going to run the, the air raid, do it to the best of your ability. I think Clay McGuire is that guy. He should have been hired in, in, in 2019. Um, and I really wonder why. Because, you know, you, you look at it and he had produced two-time All-American Coney O'Connell, uh, a six foot nine, 368-pound three-star who ranked 1,080th in the 24-7 sports composite. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Sounds a lot like the guys USC's recruited, the right? The entire 2020 recruiting yes. class. Yes, like, like if, if he can get an All-American all out of those guys at Washington State, what can he do at SC, right? So why was he, why was he not hired in 2019? I, I think it comes down to one of two things. I think you can make a, the strong argument he should have been that guy when Cliff Kingsbury was hired by Clay Helton. Um, is that because did Cliff not fight hard for him? Um, I have a hard time to believe that when Cliff went out of his way to not only hire him from Washington State, but give him the co-offensive coordinator title at Texas Tech. Or is it Clay sticking to his guy, Tim Drevno? Um, I'm more inclined to believe that, that, it, that it's Clay Helton being loyal to Tim Drevno, especially when he had hired him the year before. Um, or it could be the third option. Maybe Clay McGuire is just a running backs coach who kind of lucked lucked out being out of position on the offensive line uh, at Washington State. I'm not inclined to believe that one. But either way you put it, this is the kind of hire that SC should be making if they're going to run the air raid. Uh, is Clay McGuire the greatest offensive line coach in the history of football? No. Do I think that SC is suddenly going to have the greatest offensive line in the world? No. Uh, do I think that, you know, this is an amazing move that's going to save Clay Helton's job. Maybe. And I, I, I don't know, but like if you're going to run the air raid, this is the move you make. Yeah. And that's, and that's, this is the, it's hard to talk about this because like you can think that this isn't the system or the setup that's going to, you know, take you to national championship glory, but we still have to have to approach each season on, okay, what are the parameters for this season? What are the what are the best and the worst case scenarios? Uh, where is USC fitting in as far as their decision making in that window of best things you can do and worst things that you can do? If you're going to have an air raid offensive coordinator, if you're going to have an air raid scheme, then this is the guy to bring in because he his scheme worked with Mike Leach. His scheme worked. Uh, his blocking schemes worked in air raid systems, and um, his you know running schemes. I don't know if they're going to make the difference for USC in terms of having a great running game. I think that uh, one of the things that USC needs to do some soul searching here as far as the running game is concerned is all of those improvements that you talked about, Michael, on on the offensive line or at least in the the stats opportunity rate and all that kind of stuff. 
Washington State still wasn't running the ball that much. They're still, you know, 1,000 yards in a season, 1,500 yards in a season, all that kind of stuff. I think USC needs to do some soul searching to decide, well, how much running are they going to do? And is it going to be effective running? Because I don't think this is the hire that suddenly USC is going to be able to be a power run team. But again, USC's not try- theoretically, USC is not trying to be your power run team because everything that they're doing is pushing them towards air raid. So I just want to see them uh, get the most out of uh, the, the direction that they've chosen. And that is the air raid. And I think Clay McGuire is the guy uh, to get that done. And like I said, I still feels like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. I feel kind of bad for Clay McGuire because he took a job with Cl- Cliff Kingsbury and was there for a year before Cliff got fired. And he is, you know, taking a, a job at USC. And I don't know if he can guarantee long term, um, you know, job security as far as USC is concerned. But I do think it's a step in the right direction for USC if they want to maximize the arrayed, uh, the arrayed offense. So, you know, you do what you can. I, I, I didn't think that there were going to be significantly better options out there than Tim Drevno. So this feels like a scheme fit, at least. Yeah, for sure. It, it is a scheme fit. I think that's a big benefit um, for SC. Uh, full trans uh, transparency and in the statistics, the numbers at Texas uh, Texas State not great, um, but again, I, I think the the Washington State numbers kind of matter more to what's going on here. Um, and then you can look at the rushing numbers at Washington State; uh, they weren't necessarily amazing. But you also have to understand that Mike Leach is not going to run the ball as much as Graham Harold did. They were effective. Yeah. The running Gerald Wicks in 2015, Gerald Wicks and Jamal Murrow. Average 5.7 and 6.55 yards per carry. Right. And, and it's it's crazy because you look at those numbers in 2015. Wicks, Morrow, and Harrington, their top three backs, all averaged more than 5.7 yards per carry. But yet as a team, they ran for 3.56. That was because Luke Falk was, was sacked for... Negative 150 yards. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not ideal. But, you know, like Washington State was doing this with without, you know, James Williams, Jamal Murrow, Jared Wicks. Um, the, these aren't, you know, Max Borgie is probably the best running back that they've had this Ever? entire time. Yeah. So um, maybe and, and, and this is something that um, that, that again, USC is just going to have to find the right fits. This is about scheme fit. And th- that is how does USC get the most out of their running backs? Right. Um, this is and he he is a former running backs coach. Maybe he will yeah. have some ideas about how to yeah and help Mac Jinks there. Like I said, Graham Harrell runs the ball way more than Mike Leach. Yes, uh, the the knock on I, I I hear it all the time. SC doesn't run the ball. No, they run the ball. They don't run the ball great. They well as our theory has always been, if they ran the ball less, they'd be more successful overall. Yeah. Uh, and it's not because we don't like running the ball. I know that I dream of a Stanford type, you know, two tight end set offense, but it's about running it effectively. Yeah, and hopefully for SC, this this makes a change. If not, then so be it. This is always going to be a, uh, the do or die year for Clay Helton, anyways. So, so be it. Uh, the other news, the other new coach that comes in for USC is strength and conditioning coach Robert Steiner 
the former Notre Dame assistant strength and conditioning coach uh, for the last three years. He was part of that revamp, that overhaul uh, that Notre Dame had uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, He spent time at Cincinnati before that. Uh, He's gotten glowing remarks from Notre Dame players after leaving, former MMA fighter. Um, This goes back into the whole idea of, Alicia, you and I, not experts on what makes a good strength and conditioning coach. But on the surface, this seems like the type of guy that you hire, right? Robert Steiner looks like Coach Beard from Ted Lasso, and that's all I need to know. I just want him to be exactly like Coach Beard from Ted Lasso. And I don't think that's asking too much. No. I don't know if he's going to be as as uh, as witty. <laughs> but uh, uh, or as maybe, good as maybe more spoken. We'll yeah, say. maybe maybe speaks more. Uh, here, here's the thing. Um, again, rearranging deck chairs uh in a in a vacuum i it sounds like a like a good fit i guess the the big problem i would have is that he's uh an assistant strength coach usc is giving somebody their next step their next option um i think that if you're looking at uh at strength coaches maybe tory beckton would have been a better hire but I'm not sure, and that's just because he's had a couple of years of being the guy, the strength and conditioning coordinator. The plus side here is that USC is still five years down the line into the Notre Dame model of uh, of, of rebuilding the program. So if the culture changes that Notre Dame made, if Steiner was part of those at all, then theoretically that's the kind of thing that you want, I guess. Uh, just, sure. Again, I don't know that this is... Here's the problem with the offensive line and the strength coach as the changes that USC is making this year. Like, these changes tend to be multi-year you see the result, right? right. Like, you're not going to see the result first thing. It's with not the, like a quarterback's coach. No, where you're not going to see instant. So, like, these are not the things that are going to make the difference for USC in 2021. Like, they they could. I mean, but, maybe but, they could. Maybe but, they do, but. Yeah, I I, I, I don't know. I, strength and conditioning coaches, like I've always said, just, I Shrug. I I don't think USC's culture was the problem in 2020. And in, in fact, I said before the season started, and we haven't had a lot of time to sort of discuss looking back at the season, but before the season started, I said one of the things I was going to judge USC on was how well they handled the pandemic and, and how well the team took the uh, the pandemic months seriously as far as their conditioning and they're being ready to play. They seemingly did that and well, right? And quite frankly, you don't go 5-1. and one. I know that everyone's disappointed by the Pac-12. You don't go 5-1 Pac- and one if you don't have hearts. If, if your players didn't buy fire, into your system. Which, which they clearly did towards the end of those games, and, right? You don't pull those games out of your ass on accident. No, and, and USC talked too much about their culture and how important sure, it was. Yeah. And that got kind of... Uh, you know, eye rolly at a certain point, but again, you don't win those games and you don't come out and and do what USC did without the players buying in during the off season, without the players sticking with their workouts, without the players being on top, being held accountable to to themselves and to each other. So USC had that this past year, and again, I don't know that that's the thing that like has to change. Yeah, and I don't think that that all comes back to the strength and conditioning coach. Entirely, especially in a year when the pandemic struck and all that stuff, I still go back to if Aaron Osmus had more time on his contract, I think he might have still been around. Yeah, I, I, I would. I, would, I mean, I that's would, I would that, that's so. a that's a no nothing opinion, but I'm just throwing that out there. 
Uh, let's go to um, the coaches USC has lost in the last couple of weeks. Uh, tight end coach John David Baker is now the new Ole Miss tight ends coach. He's gone and left his uh, good old BFF, Graham Harrell, and has picked a new one, Lane Kiffin. Yeah, um, interesting. Uh, I, I don't know that we saw anything from the tight ends to suggest that John David Baker is a particularly good assistant coach. Um, I think he's credited with his sort of offensive mind as far as being a, a, a second-in-command to uh, Graham Harrell, so that that's probably more of where USC loses something here is sort of the, the mind, uh, the... the uh, um, what do they call it in Ted Lasso? The, uh, the, the group, the group think, not the group think, but the, you know, the, the danger dogs or the whatever dogs, whatever it was, either way, the, 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 I'm just going to let you go. Uh, you're letting me go. You're, f- I'm flailing. There's a word for not, this. Not throwing a life raft. There's a you. word for this to, 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 that describes hive mind, hive mind, the hive mind, the hive brain, all of that kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, so that's where the loss comes from. I guess the big question we now have is, and and I'm very curious, the tight end coach thing was always a sort of floating coach position. So USC could use this, like, are they going to bring in a new tight end coach? Could they well, bring in a co-something coach? I think it's, it's an interesting question as it relates to the next little nugget in our rundown here. SC has lost analyst Chris Claiborne. He's now the new ASU linebackers coach. Uh, Alicia, who's USC's linebackers coach? Todd Orlando. So in other words, they don't have one. Yes. I'm really interested to know if it crossed the mind of anybody. Hey, let's just make Chris Claiborne the tight end, the, the linebackers coach to keep him around. I wonder, I wonder if that crossed his mind. I don't know. Um, I mean, more power on... ASU for giving an opportunity. I don't think SC is going to stand in his way to get an opportunity the same way Chris Hawkins last year got an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Happy for those guys to see what they can do as they they move from GA to you know being a, a full-time assistant. And I think it's really smart of Herm Edwards to be poaching the, the, 100%. the coaches from USC yes. because those guys have recruiting ties in and around Los Angeles. That's yep. going to come in real big handy for them. You, you saw it when they got, uh, what's his face? Their defensive coordinator that used to play for the Giants and right now. My Antonio friend, Pierce? Yeah, Antonio Pierce. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, it, it's, a, it's a good move. It, it is a good move for Herm Edwards to see what becomes of it. I still swear, like Herm Edwards is going through a million coaching changes. He has every to change off-season. the entire yeah. staff every offseason. It's really funny, but yeah. Uh, but but either way, like I don't know if Chris Claymore was. I I don't know if he is. I don't know if that's a good hire for ASU. Aside from the uh, the recruiting aspect of it, I think that we got to see Chris Hawkins up close and personal. We knew that it, this guy was built for being. The DB's coach, and and we knew that from a from a coaching perspective, he well, could get that done. By all accounts, everyone loves Chris Claypool. Yes, and yeah. you know, obviously, but was uh, he ready to be USC's linebackers coach? I don't know. Probably not. Um, but I think this makes it interesting because I think in the perfect scenario, this is good for SC. You allow him to, uh, you you allow him the opportunity at another school, even though it it is a division rival, to get that opportunity. See what he's like, so that way, in a year or two, when you need to hire a new linebackers coach, he's your dude. You see what's become of him. You, yeah. you, you see, um, you know, you allow him to get that that um, experience before you bring him in. 
Um, and I'm happy for Chris Claiborne to get that experience because I feel like he's been wanting that experience oh. forever. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, and, and you can't stand. You can't stand in the way of, of, of that for him. Not at all. I guess the, the question is, you know, maybe Todd Orlando doesn't want a linebacker's coach. Maybe he wants to be hands-on. And uh, and if that's what he wants to do, then that's that's what he wants to do. I do think there, the, the, the tight end situation is interesting because the one thing John David Baker did do well is recruit some tight ends. You know, Michael Trigg is a, is a really intriguing tight end. Um, the, the other guy from Texas, um, Blake McCree, is another guy who... You know, intriguing talents there. Are you going to bring in another tight ends coach who maybe your goal is to get more out of those guys? I don't know. Uh, Something different out of those guys. I don't know. Yeah, I still think it's interesting how SC continues to recruit a bunch of tight ends, but not necessarily use the tight ends. How does a tight end, I mean, and I say this out of love. How does a tight end watch USC's offense over the last couple of years and think to themselves, USC is going to be the best place for me to learn and grow and develop and produce? Um, Because I've been saying this for years. USC hangs their tight ends out to freaking dry. There's a reason that they are so low rated. And it's not because they are trash. It's because the like you put any tight end in those situations, you're not going to get results out of them. They're, They're constantly... Put up uh, against you know defensive ends and 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 outside like you know pass rushing outside linebackers who like they're just set up to lose those battles and uh, right. and whatever USC is selling I don't know I don't know maybe there's a big change coming down the, the line as far as the way they're gonna deploy these guys they're selling a phantom product but I think part I maybe I'm naive I still think part of that product is. Look what Drake London is doing. Uh, but the problem is they're not going to move Drake London out of that spot because he's so good at it. Yeah. But if you're Jude Wolf and Ethan Ray, like you're too good to be what USC, you're, right. you have too much potential to be what USC has had you be so far. And if you're Michael Trigg and, and Lake McCree, your potential, what USC is currently doing tight ends is not good enough. Right. Uh, last bit of note, uh, analyst uh, Hayes Pollard. Uh, both he and Chris Claiborne got hired at the same time last year, same day. They were announced at the same time. They're both no longer with the Trojans. He is now with the New York Football Jets. Yeah, another one where uh, guys moving on up in the world and uh, more power to him. I think uh, the Jets is a, a really intriguing place to be right now for young coaches who are trying to make their way in the world. So uh, with Robert Sala coming in there and, and having sort of the defensive focus. So... Yeah, good on Hayes Ballard. And he's another guy where if he wants to be in the NFL and go through the coaching ranks, then that's great. But also, you let him continue to grow as a coach, and maybe you come back to him later and bring him back home. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's move on to some personnel changes for the Trojans, why don't we? Alicia, who was USC's best football player in 2020? That would be Talano Hafanga. That is correct. He is gone to the NFL. Yes, indeed. His cohort, Isaiah Polamau, is coming back. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what he can do on USC's defense. I think he is far and away uh, one of SC's best players in the entire team as it is. Uh, that he gets to come back and really anchor this defense from the backfield is going to be Really interesting to watch what he can do there. I wouldn't be surprised if he took that next step like Talano Ufanga did and became, you know, a 
all Pac-12 first teamer, if not better than that. We we've seen him have big impacts. He had a three-game interception streak of his own in 2019. Maybe he can put a Hufanga streak of picks uh, in 2021. We'll see how that all goes together. But this is the biggest news for USC's defense by far of the off of the offseason. IPM is back. Yeah, I think it's a huge deal for USC's defense. He was a team leader on that defense, um, certainly in the shadow of Talano Hufanga, but uh, had an impact uh, of his own right as well. And he really just is going to help stabilize that uh, that defensive backfield quite a bit. USC's bringing in the transfer, uh, Xavier Alford. They've got uh, guys coming up from behind as well who can fill in that spot that Talano Hufanga was in. But when you lose Hufanga and Elijah Griffin and you had the prospect of losing uh, IPM as well, it sure helps to have another veteran leader back. So that's a that's a good starting point for USC's defense, uh, getting him to go. And, and like you said, I think he, there it's certainly with I think he should be at a minimum looking to say, I'm going to be a first team all Pac-12 player. Uh, he's got the talent. He's got the ranginess. He's got the the ability. I think he can do that. Um, USC needs him to do that too. So it's a good starting point, but he now has to take that next step that we often, you know, hope for and sometimes see from guys who are entering their their senior year. Yeah, Chana took that big step. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see if IPM can do it as well. Uh, you mentioned Xavier Alford, uh, a guy who's coming in from Texas. Now he has a new uh, teammate that was his old teammate. That is uh, Keontae Ingram, the running back, uh, who has committed to USC to transfer from Texas to the Trojans. This is a big-time pickup for USC's running game, though it's an interesting one because I think Ingram is really good. He's split time, and every time he's been all three years um, at Texas, he is split reps, so he hasn't been the guy, but I don't think necessarily he's going to be the guy at USC because there's so many different bodies but he's someone who I think easily might be the most talented in USC's backfield when you put it all together. Uh, he was the six-rated recruit back in 2018 when he came out of Carthage, Texas. Um, I, the thing I like about him, he caught uh, 29 and 27 passes as a freshman and a sophomore while splitting reps out of the backfield, scored 10 touchdowns all told as a sophomore. Uh, which means he's not only productive, but he catches the ball out of the backfield. This is an air raid offense. That is a skill you want. Uh, he is someone who can uh, run between the tackles, run outside, kind of do a little bit of everything, including catching the ball. That's the type of running back that you want. I don't know how much of a difference is going to make in the running game, but if you're going to make a running back, um, you know, bring in a, a new running back, he's the type of guy that you want. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's the thing is he's going to help offset losing Marquis Step, and he's not Marquis Step uh, there, but he but he is a power sort of uh, uh, he's a powerful runner. So I think what you lose in Marquis Step is sort of like the specialness of his power and his bullyingness and all that kind of stuff. You gain in, in Ingram who has uh, the the strength and the size that you'd like to see, while also showing that that ability to catch the ball as well, significantly better than uh, than Marquis Step as far as his natural ability there. So yeah, at Texas those two years he caught twice as many balls as as either of as any of USC's uh, running backs uh, out of the backfield. So obviously there's a different scheme, different system, different all that kind of stuff, but he does give you that opportunity 
And maybe that's the maybe that's the difference for SC. Maybe that's the maybe he's the guy who comes in and is able to put together more of what uh, what you get from you know the the three headed backfield that USC had with Malapai and Carr and Step and then throw Kristen in and all that kind of stuff just sort of got muddled because each one of them did something you like but not everything in exactly the way you like. I think that's why they use Vivai Malapai so much is because he got as close to it as possible. And maybe Keontae Ingram is the guy who bridges that gap and does the power and the blocking and the catching and the running at a just a tick higher than the other guys and can sort of take that on and, and, and make it his own, his that role. I think it really could be. I, I think he might be the better runner, the better slasher, the better all those little things than, than you know, everyone else. I don't know that he's an all-conference runner. He's not Rojo um, or anything like that, but... I think he's going to be someone in that backfield who's very, very valuable when you look at what SC wants out of the running backs. The interesting thing is, if Stephen Carr is coming back, and all indications are that he is, if Avimala Pei is coming back for year six, and there's no indications that he's not as of now, isn't SC still back in the same issue where you have three running backs and Keenan Kristen on the outside looking in for the fourth spot? you're still in the same spot and it's still all dependent on if the offensive line can carve your holes anyways, because we already talked about that the running game wasn't the, the struggles of the running game weren't the problems of the running backs anyways. Mm-hmm. Even if Ingram is better than Carr and better than Malapai, Carr and Malapai were more than good enough to be successful runners had they had the blocking in front of them. Absolutely. Yes. And that's why it, it maybe it's the combination of, the new offensive line schemes you hope that are coming in, maybe some new run plays you hope that are coming in, maybe some new run designs and and all of that. And then you have this shiny new toy that you get to play with. And that's that's the sort of thing I'm hopeful of. I, I, I think it's entirely possible, probably more pr- you know, probable that USC is going to be in the same sort of quagmire on the run game that they that they did that as as this past year and the year before. But then again, part of me wonders, like, okay, we think Malapai and Carr are coming back. What is the spring going to look like? What is the rotation at running back going to look like? Um, spring camp could show one one of those guys emerging. And if it's Keontae Ingram, maybe you do look at uh, post-spring camp transfers. I think post, post-spring post camp transfers are going to be a huge thing. Um, in this in this new era of free transfers. So this is something that I, I think you have to look at and prepare for and think about. Uh, but either way, Keontae Ingram is, is something different. And I agree with you that it wasn't the running backs who were at fault, but maybe something different is what USC needs. Maybe something, like I said, where just using one back the whole way through. Is, is is something that improves one little element. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. We, we will see. Um, and speaking of a, of a transfer that comes in that you wouldn't necessarily have thought that SC needed help at, but still makes a lot of sense depth-wise, let's talk about Katie Nixon committing to USC to transfer from Colorado. You know the name because he scored against SC a couple of times before. Uh, at that game in Boulder where we froze our ass off mm-hmm. uh, in 2019, he had a couple of touchdowns. He is a productive uh, wide receiver. And now he gets to go into a system that really produces a lot of productive wide receivers. When you look at what SC has done with Tyler Vaughns and Amon Ross St. Brown, 
Two guys that are now gone, SDS to not only replace those guys, but replace their production within a roster that isn't... How do I put this? There's a lot of receivers, but there's still not as many as, as Graham Harrell would ideally want. Um, Manu McLean, we know, missed all of last season. There's no reason to expect that he's going to be back. Um, uh, Kyle Ford is coming off of an ACL tear. Um, John Jackson the third and and Josh Jackson, unproven guys that that haven't had enough experience to 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 really know that they're going to be you know rock stars in this offense. Um, Gary Bryant Jr. still hasn't gotten his opportunity. Brew McCoy, you expect to take a big step forward next year. There is a space for Katie Nixon, and Katie Nixon, if you're going to add anyone to the list, absolutely the kind of guy you want. He was productive at Colorado, but not overly productive, which means I think he's a little bit hungry. He's someone who fits the scheme. He's a 5'8 guy who can run inside, he can run outside. Speedy dude. I think that this is a really interesting fit to give USC more depth at receiver. I think the frustrating part for the narrative is I think a lot of fans look at this and say, yeah, but you didn't need a receiver. You need an offensive line, uh, you know, depth or, or whatever. I don't think getting Katie Nixon is stopping that kind of move from happening, but you still need to go fix those other holes too because Katie Nixon is a luxury item at this point. Absolutely, but that's the the nice thing is that USC can still use the luxury item. And uh, if you're losing Tyler Vons and Amara St. Brown, then he's a he's a perfect fit to come in and at least compete. And at worst, he's a, a day one starter. And and uh, sorry, at best, he's a day one starter. And at worst, he's just some added depth that helps you continue to deal with injuries if they prop up or. Uh, defenses keying in on stopping, you know, one Drake London or or Brew McCoy or whoever. You open up opportunities for literally everyone else and let the competition reign because now you don't have to rely on Gary Bryant Jr. Gary Bryant Jr. is going to see the field because he deserves it because he warrants it because he commands it when Katie Nixon is there. Um, that's that's a proven guy in the Pac-12 who's done you know great things to USC's defensive backfield. So I don't think you scoff at all at that uh, at that addition. And the fact that USC can bring in that kind of addition is the rich getting richer. But it's the sort of uber wealthy getting richer when they don't like when they don't have sort of like the basic depth that they need to be in with. Yeah, it's like SC Robin Hoodie down here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know that uh, that unpacking that particular analogy on this particular day would be a little bit too difficult to beyond me. But, you know, every every wide receiver USC can use. I mean, USC is still going to struggle to say they have a two or three deep at wide receiver this next year. So, yeah, you take every reinforcement you can get and. Very few schools out there are going to be able to reinforce at the level that Katie Nixon reinforces you. 100%. And at the cost to yeah. a conference rival. Yeah. Colorado certainly could have used him. And Colorado was looking like a uh, a foe that SC could be worried about a little bit, given how the good they were in uh, in 2020. And then there's the big bolstering of USC's 2022 Recruiting 2022. We were talking about 2022. I know, man. We were just talking about like the 2012 class. Remember when, like, when uh, the 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 quarterback who Kiffin offered when he was 13, um, David Sills. David Sills. Remember, David Sills was like the class of 
2015 or something like and, that. And at the and time, that seems so far away. It, it seemed like forever ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or forever in the distance. And then, you know, that has been so long ago at this point. Uh, which reminds me, Daniel Monterbebe committed to Kansas State, which which had me look up when Daniel Monterbebe, he's going to be a seventh-year player with Kansas State. When he committed to his first college in 2014, Missouri, Jake Garcia was a fifth grader. <laughs> Gotta love those Jake Garcia comparisons yeah. and the timeline relative to Jake Garcia. 100%. Uh, but five-star corner Domani Jackson, the number three ranked recruit in 24-7 sports composite for the 2022 class out of modern day, commits to SC. This dude has the body of like a 26-year-old like bodybuilder. Yeah. Sculpted, does not look like a guy who's played high school football. Yeah. Um, and the absolutely the kind of guy you want to get. Uh, someone who is highly ranked in your in your footprint out of modern day, just like Corey Foreman in the twenty one twenty one class, the top recruit in California. This is what you want. SC goes out and gets him. Now they got to hold him for a calendar year. And this is the difference between Corey Foreman and Damani Jackson. USC should have had Corey Foreman at this time last year, and it would have built their entire. You could have built your entire recruiting class around. Corey Foreman's our guy. He's buying into our program. All of that kind of stuff. Damani Jackson is the Corey Foreman of the next class. And USC's getting him now, which is what what they should have done with Corey Foreman. They're taking care of business now. Huge for the recruiting class. He's going to be an active recruiter on the trail and, and really set the tone for 2022. The problem is, as we saw with Corey Foreman, he committed to Clemson this time last year and then backed off that claim that backed off that commitment. USC has to keep Damani Jackson close uh, and close out this deal. But, you know, Dante Williams 100%. is doing Dante Williams kind of things. So he, he is, and they'll be looking to close out the recruiting class uh, next week, signing day, already next week. Uh, the real signing day, which is no longer the real signing day, which is like <sighs> the fake signing day. Um, and signing day doesn't even mean anything anymore because they ruined signing day, and I don't like it. But anyways, SC in the mix for Rajon Davis, also out of – Modern day, if they can add him, that would be even bigger for USC's 2021 class. Uh, we'll see if that happens next week. We were talking about it off air if we were going to record a signing day preview. The way that they have completely neutered signing day, there's no need to anymore. So this is our signing day preview. SC right now, the top 10 class, could get better if they get Sean Davis from modern day. We'll talk about that next week when we recap signing day and the 2021 Class, which leads us to the biggest news, Alicia, last week. Larry Scott, gone as commissioner of the Pac-12 conference. Well, soon to be gone because he, be yes. he won't actually be gone until June. And what an awkward few months this is going to be for Larry Scott. Uh, yeah, the part, the, the, the unconscious coupling of, uh, or co- conscious, no, conscious uncoupling of Larry Scott and the Pac-12 uh, long overdue. It made sense the timing because his contract was going to be up. They weren't going to re-sign him. Kind of mirroring a little bit of the, the Clay Hilton situation, where like the contract's coming up, so like are you gonna re- you have to make that choice. You're either going to re-sign him or you're not, and uh, that's going to say a lot. So uh, Larry Scott is out, and the Pac-12 can get ready for the next couple of years, the most important years of the past, you know, how however many decades for the conference as uh, media rights come up again. So. 
was a huge, huge deal to uh, to reset the conference. And hopefully they can identify somebody who does a better job than Larry Scott of being an ambassador for the conference, of being more responsible with the conference's uh, funds and uh, just being a overall better representative. Because I think Larry Scott, you we can have discussions about what Larry Scott did or didn't do for the conference. But when it came down to it, he lost the conference and he lost the faith of the fan bases and he lost uh, credibility for the conference because of the way that he presented things and handled things. And that's on him. So got to do better next time. That is on him. And I think it's also on the Pac-12 uh, presidents and the CEO group to make it on themselves to have a reckoning about this. Um, that they kind of enabled Larry Scott. They kept paying him. They kept giving him raises. They kept doing all those things, uh, which only enabled the situation. So I've always said that uh, as much hate as Larry Scott gets, let's not overlook the the opinion of uh, of the university presidents and all that stuff because they have direction. Um, and and part of it is you know Larry Scott sold them on a direction that that maybe that you know they shouldn't have gone down or whatever. And and if you hire someone who is a better uh, you know conference commissioner, they can convince the conference that you know they they need to get go down a different direction that makes more money. That absolutely is a thing, but it takes two to tango. And so this is one of those things where absolutely Larry Scott needed to go. I'm just going to hold my breath here because who do they replace him with? And I'm not saying that they're going to find someone who's worse than Larry Scott. I'm saying, are they going to find someone who still perpetuates the idea that this is an Olympic sports conference and all that kind of stuff? I don't necessarily know that that's going to change. It could, and more power to the Pac-12 if they do that, and they go out and they hire Oliver Luck, and Oliver Luck says, hey, that's not the way to do this. The way to do this is through football and through all this other stuff. That's what needs to happen. Will it happen? I don't know. I'm skeptical. I'm cynical as always. I'm going to hold my breath and and, and wait to see it happen. Remember, the Pac-12 presidents are going to be the ones who are making this hire, and the Pac-12 presidents bought either furthered or bought in or you know, picked up on or whatever it is, the idea that the Pac-12 was going to be Olympic sports and screw basketball and, and football. Uh, hopefully they've had the reckoning. If the, I, I mean, mean that's, that's the right? thought. But again, these are going to be the same people who are hiring. Just like when we talk about USC making coaching changes and all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? Who's hiring? The same people that you hated before who made the, the hires from before that you didn't like. So um, my optimism might be that just like USC has... I feel more confident in Mike Bone and his decision-making and, and his ability to guide USC as an athletic department. Maybe USC taking on that next step, that bigger leadership role in the conference that we saw them take on during the pandemic stuff. Maybe that will help lead to more uh, capable decision-making yeah, at the top of the Pac-12, using their influence a little bit and uh, and, and riding this ship. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see what all becomes of it. We could talk so much about this, but we got such a huge mailbag uh, that we want to get to. Uh, so let's do that. Let's open it up. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's go to an email we got from Tim. Greetings, Rand of Troy. Thank you for all the hard work you guys did, keeping us informed and entertained this season. To my fellow listeners, if you aren't subscribed to the Rand of Troy Patreon, I highly recommend it. Aside from getting a Roddy vote, I find the bonus content pretty entertaining, even though the only Skinnect games make me feel dumb. 
I try to play along, but my total score across all of your games is two. Insert shrug emoji here. Can I jump in real quick? Like, our scores are extremely low, too, so we're also dumb. Yes, and if you watch the real Only Connect, you're not going to have a much higher score than that either. No. It is, that is the whole point of the hey, show, we, we, which is why we love it. We mostly solved two connecting walls in an episode we watched the other night, and it was like the greatest moment in our watch our, our only connect yes. history and then there was an american football question there was an american football question that we just killed we right out the gate that one which the, the the brits did not get but anyways back to tim's email i wanted to bring up two points about my roddy's picks that i don't think were mentioned in your deliberations sorry if i'm misremembering for the worst take of the year award my reasoning for voting for usc wronging jt daniels was it was because it was a complete rebuke of the pete carroll era pete's usc was all about intense competition and the next-man-up mentality. Matt Leinert recently said that after his first year as a starter, Pete said he looked forward to Matt competing for the starting job next season. If JT saw the writing on the wall and chose to leave before the job, before losing the job, that's on him, even if it was just one factor among COVID, season cancellations, etc. I wish him nothing but success at Georgia, but USC starting jobs should always be considered earned. Regarding the healthiness of the year award, this is a 50-point offense. Wasn't that bad. Though if we were accurate, it would be, this should be a 50-point offense. The comment about rushing for 170 yards per game was a misread of the stats and game strategy, but it showed some awareness of the deficiencies. It's just not us was fine to me. It's only bad because it never effectively showed what, quote, was us. For me, the comment about the wind in Arizona causing Keaton's errant passes was the clear winner because it was a complete deflection of any ownership or responsibility. If his passes were off, just say they were off and he's got a few things to work on at practice. It's accountability without throwing him under the bus. But to put it all in the wind without acknowledging that it's possible to game plan around it and adapt made that my pick for healthism over the year. Stay safe, stay sane, happy 21, 2021, Tim in Los Angeles. Uh, Tim, I love your your, your reasoning and your, your your logic here. I think it all checks out. I, I think you got a good point. Like the 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 Keaton stuff, that was a statement that didn't need to be said. I think the other ones you could say that the the this should be a fifty point offense. I think yeah, I think Clayton should believe that. He should he should have that in his arsenal, right? That this is not us. It, we've talked about it before. At least it was them being self aware and. And providing a, a, an excuse that I think made sense, even if it wasn't the one people wanted to hear. The Keaton Slovis thing didn't make sense. And while I think that it's okay to protect your player a little bit that way, you're exactly right. The, they could have game planned around the, 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 the passing, you know, uh, the balls not being there. They could have absolutely done those things. Yeah, Tim, this is just a, a masterpiece of an email, by the way. Um, I couldn't agree more with the with the idea of the lack of ownership on, on Keaton's passes and, and just sort of straight up, it just felt like we were being lied to. It just straight, it felt like they didn't, either they didn't have an answer for it and they were just, you know, throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it would stick and it was just embarrassing or they were flat out lying to us. So either way, it's just not a good look for them. But I want to go back to the idea of JT Daniels and the idea that USC wronged JT Daniels. I could not agree more. 
around USC, it's all competition, 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 competition until it's not. And then suddenly it's like, oh, well, USC screwed these guys over. Well, no, sometimes it's just competition. Sometimes you just have to, you know, prove you're going to win a job. And I and I don't think that there was a bias inherent. If anything, we had to fight back 2018 comments from people talking about how USC was biased for JT because they didn't want to, you know, didn't want to piss off modern day. Well, guess what? USC just got the commitment from the five-star modern day quarterback, even though the modern day quarterback, um, the cornerback, even though JT Daniels left USC, uh, you know, and supposedly the modern day mafia was supposed to have consequences or something like modern I, day mafia. You see how ridiculous that. I sounds? mean, the, the whole thing was really dumb. So it was just very, yeah, very frustrating. But I think Tim hit the nail on the head here. Like wishing him success at Georgia, but like he could have stayed. He could have fought. It's not USC's fault that he left, and uh, and and all the other stuff too. I think Tim just uh, just rocked it. Great email. But, but to Tim's point, I think he's making the case that like. It's also on SC to preach the idea that that everything is is there for the taking if you want to stay around. And if the idea isn't that everything is up for grabs every other year, it's easy to come to the conclusion that it's not. And it's easy to hit the ejector seat. Right, right. But uh, I think a big part of that, too, is is. If you had I think if people had more faith in the coaching staff, they would buy in to the idea that it's the play like the players need to compete because the coaches are going to be fair about it right whereas like i don't think that this was a lack of fairness situation well i go back to what what's your you and i's favorite uh, phrase it's, it, ain't th- it ain't that deep it ain't that deep i think it ain't that deep in terms of like i don't think there's a massive conspiracy about players you know uh, not having opportunities because of the high schools they went to or anything like that I do think that there's favoritism, and I think favoritism has merit, and it has it can be well, problematic is, at the same time. What is fa- like what what is the result of favoritism? If like for instance, my argument has always been if favoritism is why Vivai Malapai leads USC's rushing attack. If the favoritism is born out of he prepares the best, right. he's the most reliable blocker. He's favoritism uh, isn't inherently yeah ne- like isn't it, a negative thing. If he's the favorite. Be, yeah, right? he's the favorite because of. The, what he brings to the table it might not be the exact scene that you want that everyone wants to bring to the table but right. like there are reasons that some players start over others and it's blind favoritism that, that yeah is yeah, the yeah. issue or reckless favoritism yeah and or, it's hard whatever it's hard to unravel favoritism because of nepotism or yeah. favoritism because of this and that yeah yeah but inherent favoritism just by itself uh, i don't think it's a big deal you, you're gonna if you're a coach you're gonna have favorites that because they play to the way that you like them to play. They they play to your scheme well. They play to this or whatever. Favoritism can just be the objective best guy in your mind. Let's go to a tweet we got from Mars Millet. Uh, this is also about the Roddies. Uh, you guys voted for AVT and Slovis for offensive MVP? AVT was great, but one out of five. Slovis was at his worst in the biggest and last game of the season. I dare you to rewatch the first quarter of the so-called Pac-12 championship game and not despair. Um, Marge, I think this has the issue of... I I don't necessarily think that our picks were wrong. I think, if anything, this is the problem with MVP awards. Because it depends on how you interpret an MVP. Because I think your offensive linemen and your wide receiver and your quarterback, sorry, that, that don't have a sufficient backup are always going to be unfairly valued in an MVP award 
even if the wide receiver's better because the wide receiver has someone behind him who could, in theory, make the same catch. Well, okay, so here's the issue. If not ABT or if not Slovis, then who? Like, I agree that Drake Jack. I would have voted Drake Jack. Drake, Drake yeah, London. You're doing it, you're doing it too. I would have Drake voted Drake London like the player of the year or something like that because it was the most exciting. But like, does Drake London get to do what he does if Amon Rossing Brown and Tyler Vaughns aren't there? You know, being part of that receiving core too. Like they made big catches. Um, I agree that ABT is one of five, but I can tell you right now, if he's not one of those five, USC's offense is significantly worse. And Keaton Slovis is significantly worse because having that blind side protected for most of the year, um, it goes it goes to show a lot. And I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a coincidence that Slovis that USC loses to Oregon when AVT and Slovis are at their worst. AVT is dealing with a hamstring injury. Apparently, uh, he got beat twice as many times in that he's, game as he had all season. Playing some guy who's really good. Who's really good. Side yeah. I don't know if you ever yeah. heard of his name is a. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau? Thibodeau? You yeah. ever heard of that guy? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it would be hard enough to match up with him if you were healthy. And then Slovis, too. Yes, I agree. Slovis was awful. Slovis essentially put USC in position to lose that game to, to Oregon. But he also had USC in position to potentially win it later on, too. Like, I don't think it's... um, I think everybody struggled. And I, and I think that, that the fact that Keaton was bad in that game... It's a reflection of USC's team as a whole. So if you're going to be the team MVP, then that sort of Yeah, I, I think that where I take this is we need to not do MVPs. Well, because no, I mean, you're never going to be. I, I've always not liked MVPs because it does reduce you to, yeah, but but you take this guy out and put somebody else in there. And that's not entirely. Like, for instance, in that case, if if the, the Heisman Trophy was an MVP, then Reggie Bush should not have won it. It should have been Vince Young. But it's but, the most outstanding player. But it's the most outstanding player, and Reggie Bush was clearly the most outstanding player. Okay, so right? then for we take this on. Because you take Reggie off, SC still has Linda White. They're still winning a national championship. As crazy as that sounds, SC without Reggie Bush is still an amazing team. Okay, so in the spirit of the Roddies, where we have different kind of... I've always been... Kind of sad that our, we we end up having these awards that are just sort of generic. So let's say that next year for the Roddies we're gonna be have we're gonna have the MOP, the most outstanding player. I like it. There you go. Done. The mop. Who is the mop? We'll see. Next year. Uh on the Roddies. Uh Slack message from LA Fred. Michael and Alicia, you are each the new Pac twelve commissioner. What are your two to three things you do it first? In order to get the conference back heading in the right direction, Alicia, what do you got? Uh, well, I mean, focus real hard on getting the media rights um, to 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 inject some finances, some cash into the like the first thing you have to do. Well, actually, the first thing you have to do is move the headquarters of the Pac-12 out of San Francisco. That's job number one. That's the simplest thing to save money. Move it to Vegas. Move it to... I go all in on Vegas, yeah. Uh, personally, I would go all in on Vegas. Absolutely all in on Vegas. Um, but, the, you know, there are some other areas. They could go to a lot of different places that are significantly cheaper. So do that first and then full steam ahead with the media rights stuff. Yeah, I move to Vegas and then I do the thing that I've always talked about, the over-the-top app. Um, my, I've always used... I'm going to use F1 as an example now because I've also used in the past... 
uh, the WWE's app, even though their app just got purchased by Peacock, apparently. I don't watch, you know, uh, wrestling, uh, sorry, um, uh, synchronized ring gymnastics that's just, <laughs> uh, you know, um, soap operas for men. I don't watch that, but uh, the F1, uh, Formula One's app, F1 TV, is great because you pay 10 bucks, you have the archive to every race in the history of F1. How great. would Like, for me, personally, that would be awesome. Yeah. If I had an archive of all the Pac-12 games. You get an archive of all the games, you get original content, you get, like, behind the scenes, you get the Pac-12. and Like, they could do all these things. People would pay the money to watch this stuff, and it's an additional revenue stream, and the Pac-12 can do it because what is the thing the Pac-12 wants to talk about? We still own our rights. We haven't sold them off to... We don't have a partner with the network like... uh, like ESPN and the SEC and the, and Fox and the Big Ten. Well, then, if you have your rights, then do something with them. Create an over-the-top app. That's what I would do. Yes. But the other thing after that, I would find advisors and get ready for the new uh, round of TV deals, which are coming up in 2024. Um, Slack message from BJ and Inglewood. Does SC jump Oregon in recruiting this year or next year? Uh... <sighs> I I think next year they're pretty much set up for it. Uh, I think this year the problem is I don't know that there are enough recruits still out there for USC to make that jump. Uh, they, they can we we think they're going to get Rayshon Davis. They could fill out with a couple more offensive linemen, uh, but uh, I don't know that Rayshon Davis is 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 enough to to make that move. They are. Let's see, they are in the 24-7 sports composite overall rankings, the value number of system. USC is 272.68. Oregon is 283.87. I don't know who Oregon might add. So I couldn't even go in and do the calculator and say, oh, USC can, you know, get up to to this, that, or the other with... um, with Rajon Davis because I don't know how much Oregon is going to rise to. I think just being this close is a win compared to the last couple of years. Yes. So I think that is the biggest thing. It doesn't okay. matter that you don't beat them. If you get this close compared to the last two years, it's basically a win. Okay, I, lo- I just added Rajon Davis to the calculator. USC would move up to 280.22, which still wouldn't be enough to catch Oregon. So they need someone in addition. They also need Oregon to not end up lose with... Lose somebody, maybe? Like Oregon to lose yeah. somebody or not end up with uh, whatever it is. You know, I just don't see it happening. All right, Slack message from Dave in Orange County. What does the loss of Chris Claiborne to uh, ASU affect our coaching staff and recruiting efforts? I think recruiting will uh, will, will be hurt a little bit by it, but then again, you know, USC still has, still has Gavin Morris. USC still has the core group that's around, and they still have Dante Williams. And Dante Williams is pretty pay, good. Pay that man as much money as he wants, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's go to an email from Jonathan. Hey, guys, how do you feel about the potential of Keaton Slovis being the number one overall pick in the 2022 NFL draft? Personally, of all the eligible draft quarterbacks for next year, I think he is the best. There can be an argument made that it's between him and our favorite villain, JT Daniels. On a side note, I want to ask, a while back, Michael talked about a show he watched on Netflix, I believe, uh, which is about a post-World War II dystopia where Germany won the war and the Nazis took over. I want to ask you to remember the name of the show. As always, fight on. Um, I think that's Jake. I don't think I've seen a show. I, I mean, there's the okay. There's well, the, it's not something in the High Castle on Amazon 
Prime video, yeah. there's The Man in the High Castle, right. which is a reimagining of the world if the Axis had won. So it's the, the, the Nazis take the east of the U.S., the Japanese take the west. Uh, and then there's like the sun built, the, the, I mean, the, um, the Bible built in the middle is sort of like a independent rebel, whatever. Um, that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, we can consult J- Jake and see if he, cause he's the one who watches more of these shows than us. But, right. uh, yeah. Uh, as for the, the NFL draft, I'm not certain that Keaton is going to be the number one overall pick because he, I don't know that he has like all of those physical, uh, tools that like those kinds of things may- maybe this I'm putting too much stock in recruiting rankings and stuff but like that kind of thing would have been identified way earlier as like the number one overall pick I think he'll probably be a first rounder but JT has been identified as although I guess JT's arm strength has always been a question so maybe he wouldn't be the ideal prospect either but it's more likely than not and this is just playing the statistics that neither Keaton nor JT will be the number number one overall pick because the whole field is is large, so I don't know. Alicia, who's our, who's our favorite pals when it comes to mock drafts? Walter Football. I have Googled Walter Football. Uh, of course, i got to wait for all their things to, uh, so, all their ads to load. I, I love I love Walter down. Football. Their ads are so frustrating, but then again, right, you know, the fan-sided sites are also extremely frustrating. you got to pay the bill somehow, so I live with it. But like, All right, oof. number one. Sam Howell. Sam yeah. Howell from Sam North Howell Carolina. Yeah. Uh, number two, Keaton Slovis. Yeah. Okay. So they have him in with a shout. Kayvon Thibodeau, number five mm-hmm. to the Bengals. Uh, I'm just trying to see if JT Daniels is in here. Well, Tyler Shaw, they have 13. Uh, yeah, Tyler no. Sh- Tyler Shaw, sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> they, have, they have 13. Yeah. Um, I think JT will be up there. Yeah. Jalen Phillips, 16th to the... Uh, out of Miami that's, that's an interesting one yeah uh, last message from Dan on Slack FCS football starts in one month the question is should Rot Radio have weekly Patreon FCS games of the week the answer is yes <laughs> Alicia what do you think of the answer uh, I wish the answer was yes if I honestly like Michael and I have talked about how fun it would be to like just have a full-time podcast network and if we were doing that kind of thing i absolutely would devote the time that it would take to do an fcs game of the week episode on patreon uh i would be all over it unfortunately that's not the professional situation that we're in right now um and uh yeah we're uh, uh, I I I think that what we can do is maybe have a Patreon Patreon FCS Game of the Week section uh, anytime we record a, a Patreon show. Maybe at the end we'll give a little nod to Dan and say, "Hey, what about that FCS game?" and spend like five minutes on it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Wait, sorry. Oh, hold on. We want to give the people what they want, but uh, like according to the ESPN um, schedule, McNeese at Tarleton. Uh, February 13th, Saturday, a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. I'm here for it. Who, who do you got? You got McNeese? I got McNeese. Yeah. I'm thinking I got to go McNeese there. Um, the, the fighting the McNeesers. Power, the power, powerhouse yeah. that is McNeese. They just, uh, they definitely have too, too much firepower. They're going to, you know, they, they've yeah. got that quarterback and they've, they've definitely got that linebacker. They've got that um, one dude. That, that, that dude who's just who's really good. We're all going to know his name by the end of, uh, by the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think if he puts it together, I think the uh, McNeese Cowboys 
can uh, can can wrangle in Tarleton. Yeah. It reminds me of Tartable. Danny it, Tartable. I think it makes me think of Turkleton. Turkleton? From Scrubs. Oh. I'm not going to talk about bad TV shows here <laughs> on the pod. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, episode 400, even though it isn't our 400th episode. But thank you guys for allowing us to get here. 400 full episodes here on Rate of Troy Radio. As always, you can listen to us wherever you can get podcasts or bonus episodes, patreon.com slash Rate of Troy. Tomorrow, Friday, we will be drop the uh, the tier list of USC's um, roster unit by unit. Uh, you can go find that on patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy And our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Second What's Burn Show. Alicia, you got a final word? The final word is orchestra. As in, normally I don't come in for the end with the one USC, but you did a brilliant job of being the conductor of an orchestra with your little finger waving up and then bam, it went. So sometimes we're coordinated here. I'm the maestro. Yes. The maestro. maestro. Yes. You get that reference? No. You don't get tartable. You don't get the maestro. You're killing me. Killing me. George is getting up top. Yeah, I knew there was Seinfeld going on right now. No, you're kidding. (laughs) Okay. All right. See ya. See ya. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.